Rightly dealing with fear. This is a part four of practically giving your life to Yeshua. So this message should be super practical, and I appreciate Mrs. Moorsman prophetically saying that we were here to actually get a lighter load, that we're supposed to get free this morning. So this is what the Lord showed me was chains breaking free. Now, he's been talking to me about this message all week, and I didn't realize it until I wrote the notes this morning. I'm like, of course, this usually happens when you release a message, you find out, oh, God's going to test me personally in this word that I'm about to give, or he's been testing me in this word personally that I'm about to give, and I can tell you it's been the latter, but it's probably going to be the former too. I'm sure I'm going to get tested in this more. Okay, so item one, the fear of the Lord is cleansing. I'm going to say that again. The fear of the Lord is cleansing. Dane, did you want to add something? <laughs> Amen. You got freedom right there. That was, that was my friend Dane's signal of victory right there. Oh, I was going to say something about Dane being a baseball player, but I'm not going to say it. Okay. Wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, verse 7. Now, when I first did the notes, I had a whole page that looked just like Proverbs 1, 7, 129, and they were almost all from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs uses the term the fear of the Lord more than any other book in the Bible, and Proverbs is known as the book of wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, or the beginning of uh, knowledge, as it says here in Proverbs 1, 7. But there's a lot in the Bible about the fear of the Lord. And I encourage you, I wish I had more time, to just do a word search. If you got like Blue Letter Bible or version, just do a word search for the phrase fear of the Lord. It will illuminate so much about what God wants to do for us right now. Okay, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. A foolish person thinks they already know what's true. I'm going to say that again. A foolish person thinks they already know what's true. A wise person recognizes we barely know anything, and so they're open to being told something new. The truth isn't afraid of being tested. It's not afraid of being challenged because it doesn't move. It never moves the truth. So a wise person's like, I want to know if I'm thinking something wrong. I want to know if God knows something I don't is really what this is about, okay? Because they hated knowledge and did not, did not choose the fear of the Lord. So when you don't choose the fear of the Lord, you actually hate knowledge. But I want to tell you, the thing that challenges, challenges you from, the fear, from embracing the fear of the Lord is thinking you know things. Thinking you know more than God does about your situation or more than the Bible says or more than somebody who's prophetically trying to tell you something knows. Thinking that you know what's right because you have good intentions is foolishness, okay? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate, God says. Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So we see this connection, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. To fear God is to know him. To know God is to fear him. Don't water down the fear of the Lord with it's not really scary. Everybody in the Bible who ever came face to face with God fell down like they were dead people. It is scary to be in the presence of God. But it's a good fear. It actually kind of straightens us out in our humility and in our willingness to actually be led into life, okay? Now, to fear the Lord is to see him rightly. It's to see him as sovereign. The fear of the Lord is actually faith in God. Fear and faith are both the same substance. Fear is confidence in what you hope doesn't happen. Faith is confidence in what you hope for. Fear and faith are both spiritual connectors. They'll both tie you to the thing, the object of that faith, okay? So fear is just faith in the negative. 
So the fear, to fear the Lord is to see him rightly, to see him as sovereign. The fear of the Lord is faith in God. Other people cannot determine your success or failure before God. No one, he's not going to ask anyone else's opinion when you stand before him and he judges you. He won't be like, okay, tell me about Noah. He's going to, you and Noah, or God and Noah are going to have a direct conversation about Noah and no one else's input will matter at all. So if you can settle that right now, you can make decisions that will make, be really pleasing when that happens. And that will happen for every single person. It says it's appointed to man to die once and then the judgment. Every single person will face judgment. Even people that are under the blood of Jesus will face judgment. And will get rewarded for as much as we were under the blood of Jesus. There's a Bema seat judgment called the reward of Jesus. Okay, He's bringing them with him. Circumstances don't endanger us. He holds us and gives us to all of our experiences. Your circumstances don't endanger you. If you really know the truth, they don't endanger you. God, it says that not one sparrow falls without his permission. And he says you're worth much more than a sparrow. That means that the, you know, the car wreck, the dog biting you, I just use that one for Sam all the time. Whatever it is, your circumstances are held by God. Now, you don't always feel that. But over time, we're supposed to learn that. And that's called courage. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is making a decision about fear that isn't truth, okay? So we want courage, right? The idea that there's danger, God doesn't want us to be stupid or ignorant. He wants us to be faithful, okay? All time is in God's hands. You are not running out of time, though that's one of the things we mostly fear is actually running out of time. But all time is in God's hands. All resources flow from him. You're not running out of money. It feels like it, though, sometimes, especially when we don't believe that God is good and is faithful. We'll start to think that it's on us and our decision-making. That's the opposite of the fear of the Lord. That's the fear of man. The man that you're specifically fearing is you. How many people are afraid of the way they handle money? Good. Be honest. Okay, we're going to break it off right now, okay? You can get a free, you can get a fresh start. You can write stuff on the chalkboard again, though. Don't write stuff on the chalkboard again. Once you get free... Try to ask God to keep that chalkboard clean and let him write things on it, okay? So Holy Spirit in this room, if you want to get free the fear of the, uh, fear of the Lord or fear of man about money, including the fear of you about money, raise your hand. Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, we repent. We cancel that assignment. Break it off of us in the name of Jesus. The trauma that it's created, I cancel that assignment in the name of Jesus. Give us a fresh start. We could just run to you, forget what's behind us, and go forward today faithful in the area of money. In Jesus' name, amen. Faithful in the area of money is not being debt-free. Faithful in the area of money is trusting God. It's faithful with money, okay? We put the emphasis on us trying to do what only God can do, but God is clear, trust me, with money, okay? So that's faithful with money is trusting God with money. And if you do, you make good decisions with money, okay? Um, Without God, we, our families, our churches, our cities, and all of creation is desolation. So to fear anything but him is foolish, Because he is the one that is behind all the things that we would tend to be afraid of. And if we just come to him, he'll make a good way for us through those things. The wise understand that they don't understand everything, especially about themselves. The fear of the Lord is the basis for righteousness. If you don't learn the fear of the Lord, you actually can't have righteousness imparted unto you. And your righteousness will never hold up to God. You... Not swearing, you trying to tithe, you, you know, reading your Bible, you trying to love people, that will never be enough. It has to be a righteousness imparted to you from God, 
And without the fear of the Lord, it can't happen. Okay, and I'm going to show you why. Because it's the, the, the fear of the Lord is the foundation for wisdom, which is the foundation for faith, and righteousness comes by faith. If you don't have a relationship with God, then you can't get faith. And without faith, you can't get righteousness. And if you have a relationship with God, you have the fear of the Lord. That means you spend time with him and he touches you in a way that humbles you and you're like, oh, why am I trying to take control of things again? That's mostly what the fear of the Lord experience is. That's like Isaiah in Isaiah 6 and the robe of God fills the temple and Isaiah immediately is like, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. He wasn't thinking that before he got in front of God. When he got in front of God, he was suddenly aware of his lack. That was the fear of the Lord working in his life. And then God sent him with clean lips to declare a very difficult message. That made him an an agent of righteousness to the earth. Does that make sense? Say yes if that makes sense. Okay, great. Okay, so faith pleases God and can only be obtained in the fear of the Lord. This is Psalm 19, 9 to 12. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Do you know when God tells you you're wrong, the Bible says that's sweeter than honey. When God tells you you're right, that, the Bible says that's sweeter than honey. Have you ever, ever been judged by God and had him say, you think you're doing it wrong, but I think you're doing it right. Anybody ever had that experience? He's a good dad. A good dad does that. So he doesn't try to tell you all the things you do wrong. He, t- he wants to tell you everything about who you are, good and, and what needs to change, right? And this is what David said, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. All of our faults are faith problems, not strength problems. This is what I feel like this is one of the main points the Holy Spirit wanted me to emphasize this morning. All of our faults, what David, when you hear this, when you hear David saying, it's judgments of the Lord, they're true, they're good, they're sweet. I love it when God tells me what's wrong with me. These aren't strength things that God's fixing. They're faith things. You're made to be weak. That God intends you to be weak. But your flesh, when you hear what's wrong, immediately goes into problem-fixing mode, and it always sees the problem as you not being like God. But God never intended for you on your own to replace him or be him. He always wanted you to be dust and he would be God. So what, when he highlights something that's wrong, he's highlighting a faith issue. He's highlighting a fear issue. Faith and fear are the same thing. They're just fear. It connects you to the thing that you're afraid of happening. Faith connects you to the thing that you hope would happen. And he wants to flip that switch for you. So that you would say, oh, God is faithful in this area where I am weak. But your flesh is arrogant. And when it hears that you're weak, it says, I will. Right? That's not what God wants. He doesn't want any I willers in heaven. He wants he wills, and we are his kids, and we go with him into more and more of his strength. Okay? So all our faults, they're faith problems, not strength problems. That means your personality, it's got to change. The personality you were born with, it's got to change. But your ability to do doesn't need to change at all. He takes weak things and he shows himself strong. He likes the fact that you don't have a lot of ability to do. What he doesn't like is your delusion that you have to somehow become something that you weren't made to be. He made you just right. He made you with the exact right weaknesses and the exact right gifting. And he wants the gifting 
laid down at his feet like an offering. And he wants the weaknesses put under his feet like an enemy. Do you see what I'm saying? And when we do that, then he shows himself strong. Now, when I say that, he wants the weaknesses put at his feet like an enemy. What I mean is the shame that the enemy accuses you of in that weakness, right? The weakness is the way you are. Like, you, you, it wasn't your idea to come and get to know God. It was God's idea to draw you to him. And so he took dust and started to gl- put, a, put glory in it. You're never going to change that reality. But the enemy comes and he whispers in our ear that our weakness is disappointing to God. And God wants you to bring that weakness that the enemy's accusing you of and put it under his feet like an enemy. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, it's a little bit slippery because you could think, start to think, well, is weakness good or is weakness bad? It's not good or bad. It just is. But what you think about it can be good and it can be bad, right? So our thoughts about our weakness, they're bad until they're redeemed under the blood of Jesus or under the feet of Jesus. We were made to be, by God to be weak. Our fleshy pride in fear of man, now often fearing ourselves. The fear of man isn't fear of other men. It's a lot of times the fear of you, man, okay? The fear of man tells us that our weakness is the problem we must deal with. It isn't. It's our lack of faith in God that is the problem. That problem finds its deepest roots in fear of something other than God. And we're all afraid of many things other than God. That doesn't make you a bad person. That makes you a person ready to be redeemed if you're willing to acknowledge that it's true. But if you think, now I've, I've had many conversations in the last eight months with people that God has told me, tell them they're afraid. And I can tell you 100% of the time, the first response is, I'm not afraid. And Sam's been their witness to see it happen. Several people that we barely even knew. And God said, listen to the testimony, now tell them they're afraid. And they immediately say they're not afraid. People think it's shameful to be afraid. It's not shameful to be afraid. The whole world is afraid. I mean, literally, just on a a fleshy scale, everybody's afraid. So don't try to act like you're the one person that's not afraid. Agree with the Bible and find out, oh, all of this rebellion against God's leadership is actually rooted in a fear that I'm really not touching an awareness of until I get alone with him and let him start to talk to me about why I'm making the decisions that I'm making. Many of us are afraid about money. That's my, probably one of my main fears. At least I thought it was my main fear until this morning when the Lord said, no, actually that rides on top of a horse called you're afraid a door won't unlock for you and open, right? There's something else that I'm experiencing. Okay, I, I feel this nerve. It's like when you've got a, a bad, you know, something wrong with your tooth, and you, it's only when you drink the cold thing or bite it, and you're like, ow. Like the ow for me is money, but he's like, it's actually something deeper than that, Tom. It's not, it's not a love of money for you. It's actually a fear that I won't open the door. And you're thinking you're going to run out before that happens, right? But he wants, he wants all of us to get to the root cause of our fears so he can free us. That's what, because I've been praying, God, I'm going to get delivered from this fear about running out of money. And he, I think this morning he's saying to me, I'd love to do that for you, but can we go a little deeper and find out why you're so afraid about this? Because you have this testimony of my faithfulness. And even you disagree with the fear you're just feeling something that you disagree with. Anybody had that experience? It's because there's another fear underneath it that you're not experiencing, you're not touching. And he wants to show that to you, okay? So our fleshy pride and fear of man, often fearing ourselves, tells us that our weakness is the problem we must deal with. It isn't. It's our lack of faith in God that is the problem. That problem finds its deepest roots in the fear of something other than God. Hebrews eleven seven, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, Moved with godly fear, 
prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah actually did what Noah did because he dealt with his fear of what people might think about him. I think that he dealt with his fear about the flood God told him about. A lot of times God will warn us of something, and we're more afraid of what he warned us about than of the Lord himself. You ever had that experience? That's, that's mostly people's experience of end-time information. God's idea is written down in the Bible. He tells us in his mercy and his willingness to share with us everything that's happening. He tells us what's going to happen in the end times by his sovereign will, and we get afraid of what's going to happen instead of getting afraid of the Lord, right? This happens in so many ways in our lives and very practically to give our lives to Jesus. If we can identify, wait, where, where did you tell me something? I got afraid of that thing. And I didn't actually connect to you and be like, well, you told it to me because you're sovereign over it. And I could just come to you and we can do that thing together. Right? Isn't that better? That's what he wants in so many areas of our lives. So when we hear his righteous and holy plans, if you're anything like me, my mind starts spinning. First, something that sounds like a kind of exciting promise. Then I think about it a lot and suddenly becomes like, a, oh, no, maybe it won't happen. If this happens, that won't happen. Then... And then suddenly, the very thing, the promise that God gave becomes something I'm afraid isn't going to happen, and I'm rebelling against God and trying to take control of it myself and not understanding why I'm all wound up and anxious and treating other people with anxiety and with this lack of love, right? Because perfect love casts out all fear. So there's lots of relationship experiences we're having that we don't understand. We're afraid that relationships might prevent the very promise that God gave us. And he's like, I gave you the promise so that you could have faithfulness in your relationships, right? The devil just turns that around and wants us afraid of all the very people that God wants to fulfill the promises for us with. And it breaks apart relationships, right? Now, this happens most acutely in marriage, most acutely in marriage, the very person that God gave you to and to you, you too, gave to you and to you, you too. Wow. That's the most important commitment you've made. The most, the biggest oath you've ever taken before the Lord was to stay in that. And that's where the most attack is always going to come. The attack is always going to come where you where God sees your strength or your faithfulness at the enemy. He has to attack it. Now you are intercessors. And the Lord told me to tell you this this morning. So your main strength that you've chosen for yourself, because you're like, I want to stand in the place of prayer, are your words. That means the enemy is mostly attacking your words. He wants your words to be complaints. He wants your words to be bitter. He wants your words to be fearful. He wants your words to be conspiratorial, conspiracy-minded, because your words are so powerful when they're pure and interceding. And the fear of the Lord will make your words clean. It makes things clean, Okay. This is so important for us right now because the world needs intercessors desperately. So Noah feared God more than he feared the culture he lived in or especially the wasting of his life. Noah feared God more than the flood God warned him of. He just stayed steady and built that boat. I mean, a, it's a device he'd never really, I think, experienced, and he never heard of rain before. So, like, this was a really faithful thing to have the fear of the Lord to the degree that you do something nobody's anticipating. It doesn't make sense to anyone that you have, you know, he's got a wife, he's got kids. I'm sure his wife and kids want him to go, you know, play prehistoric golf or whatever it was. And he's like, I'm building the boat, guys. And they're like, what is a boat? <laughs> and what's it for? What are we going to do? You know, where's the water, Dad? We're in a desert. And he had the fear of the Lord that it saved his whole household. 
right? This is what we want. We want to make decisions right now that are helpful to the people around us, not decisions right now that actually muck up the reality for the people around us, make us confused. Okay, now we must be careful to place God over the judgments he warns us of. Otherwise, our fear of loss will put us in rebellion, even though he warned us of the potential loss, i.e., he tells us, sending the spirit of Elijah, I'm going to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers, the fathers to the children. Well, that's a grand promise, God. But if I'm not careful, that very promise will make me start to feel condemned, ashamed about my relationship with my kids, start to think, okay, I got to do this for God. I got to make my relationships with my kids good. I got but the promise is that he would do something supernatural, right? It's just we, get, we have a subroutine of fear and shame that operates underneath everything, and we're like, okay. So when most people hear Jesus' prayer in John 17, he says, Father, make them one as you and I are one. Most people hear, okay, I got to be one with everybody. But he didn't ask you to give him unity. He asked the Father to give him you. And we want to be a people that let him move us out of fear and into faith. Okay, now, these are some of the item two, or on page two of the notes, all these items. We have to be careful because the fear of loss will put us in rebellion, even though he warned us of the potential loss. So the, 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 some of the highlights God gave me of where this happens is loss of life. We could easily get afraid of the loss of our lives. Don't fear the loss of your life, the loss of your health. It's very easy to start fearing the loss of your health in the last days. You start to think, well, what if I can't get to a doctor? What if I can't get the medicine? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And he's like, don't fear your health. I made you. I keep you. Learn that I made you and keep you, that I'm Jehovah Rapha, your wealth. One of the very first fears people experience when they start thinking about the return of Jesus is running out of money because of the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is a test to see if you have faith in the area of money. It's not a test to find out how much you can save. It's not a test to find out how smart you are with money. It's the exact opposite of that. The mark of the beast is a test of did you actually believe in generosity so that it doesn't have a grip on your heart when I actually judge it all over the earth, okay? Relationships, we get afraid of relationships, especially as we start to talk about the gospel truth in the last days. Salvation, we get afraid about losing salvation. You can actually put a fear of losing your salvation over God easily, easily. It makes you legalistic. It makes you crazy. It makes you annoying to people around you, okay? I didn't learn that in the book. Okay, so we aren't better at saving ourselves than God is. We're just not, we're really not good at much, except for he gave us a sovereign will to love him, to reflect his love back to him, and we're supposed to be amazingly excellent at loving and trusting God, but we mostly aren't, and this is what our lives are for, is to get back into that place where we have confidence that he made us lovely, and he likes the way he made us, and he just wants to lead us, and then we can be beautiful, bright, and shining. That's what he wants. The fear of the Lord will cause you to rest and connect with God in the face of things everyone else is afraid of. How many people think that we need this right now on the earth? Just an ability to rest and be confident in God in the very areas everybody else is kind of flailing about and afraid of. That is found in the fear of the Lord. Where do you get the fear of the Lord? Based on what I've told you so far, how do you think you get the fear of the Lord? Ask for it for sure, but there's a certain place you get it. Looking at him, if you see him, you will be afraid of him. If you see him, he will be the most important person in the room. If you see him, you will be afraid of, not, of missing out on the feeling of his presence, right? It's not just a negative fear like, oh, he's you know, a hard man. He's not a hard man at all. The fear is because of his glory, right? It's because of the power differential between God and us. But if you get face-to-face with him, the fear of the Lord will happen to you automatically. 
That's what everyone in the Bible has the experience of. But you have to have faith that that will happen. Because when you hear what I'm saying to you, it's very easy to start making formulas in your mind about how you're going to get the fear of the Lord. You can't. It has to actually be something that you receive as you see him. But we can ask for it. And if we ask for it, what happens is we'll see him. Where do you see God the most in your life? Yeah, when you're like, okay, all the distraction is gone. Suddenly you've got my attention, God, right now. Here, in the prayer room, that's one place. Even, even more so, the things that you mostly bring to the prayer room are troubles that you're experiencing somewhere else. You see the Lord most in your need. When something, you know, you get cancer, my dad's life changed 180 when he got cancer. Suddenly, he didn't go to the casino anymore. I was like, Dad, you want to go to the casino? He's like, I would never go to the casino. I'm like, like two weeks ago, you went to the casino. He got the fear of the Lord, like, instantly when he knew he was going to die. Because he got close to God instantly when he knew he was going to die. And suddenly, a bunch of his choices made no sense to him. And a bunch of different choices he never would have picked made a ton of sense to him. And he lived the last six months of his life, one of the most faithful people I've ever seen in my life. He got the fear of the Lord. It made him clean, right? So right now, all of us have challenges. This is where we're going to get the fear of the Lord. If we're willing to say, okay, the challenge isn't bigger than God. But what it provokes, the emotion it's provoking in me is a desperate need for God. Oh, this is good. This is good. I want this desperate need for God. In fact, I've been coming to a prayer room over and over and saying, God, I want hunger and thirst for you. I want that fire. And he's like, I'm giving it to you in so many ways. But you're so afraid of everything but me. Will you learn to see I gave you the wind and the waves so you fix your eyes on me and walk on the water? That's what I want. I want you to be supernatural. I don't want you to be sunk by every wave and trickery of doctrine that the enemy is going to send your way. I want you to be able to walk on water. I want you to be a supernatural person. You're going to walk on water in the natural after you walk on water in the spiritual. The natural is always going to manifest a spiritual reality. And so I want to actually be a person when Jesus appears that he's like, you've given me so much to work with in your willingness to see where you needed help. You've given me so much room to work in your life because you were just willing to say, I don't need to get better for you, Jesus. I need you more. I just need you more. Every weakness I find, it's something I need you more in. Every situation I find scary is another opportunity to find the fear of the Lord instead of that fear that's facing me. And if we'll do that, what will happen is we'll become available for him to give us victory over all of our fears. That's perfect love, casting out fear. We'll we'll just get confident that he loves us. Now, you've experienced this yourself many times in the sense that you've worried about some things over and over and over. How many of you worried about the same thing for like more than two years? That thing that you've been worried about, you weren't worried about it five years out, six years out. You were worried about it maybe a week out, a couple months out, three months out, eight months out. That thing's never taken you down. You have a testimony of his faithfulness, but you're hanging on to a fear of something other than him. That's unfaithful. He's been so good. But we get in a a habit of being afraid, and that habit becomes a stronghold, and pretty soon we can't see where we're actually accusing God of not being good, even though he's good to us over and over and over and over. And he's like, I'm not mad at you about that. That's a prison for you. It's not a prison for him. He's like, I know I'm good. (laughs) Like, he knows the record of him taking care of you is excellent. He's like, I get an A+. It's hurting you, (laughs) not him. 
And so he wants to free us of these lying fears. And the way that he does that is by spending time just trying to see him. And when we see him, we get to fear the Lord. And when we get to fear the Lord, we get victory over every other fear. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's cleanliness. It's victory over all the ways the enemy wants to manipulate us to not be faithful. Does that make sense? Okay. So Isaiah 30, 15 to 18. Oh, actually, I'm going to go back to item J. The fear of the Lord will cause you to rest and connect with God in the face of things everyone else is afraid of. God will patiently wait for you in the truth. He will not come meet you in your fear. He won't come and and believe your fear. He won't be like, oh, no, I'm afraid you're going to run out of money, too. Oh, no, I'm afraid those people don't like you either. Oh, no, I'm afraid the door won't open for you, too, Tom. No, he's like, Tom, I'm on the other side of the door. I'm on the other side of the problem. I'm waiting for you right here. When you come through it, I'll be here with you, and I'll comfort you, and I'll show you what was true. But will you come to where I am? This is the question he's asking us. Now, Isaiah 30, 15, 18, this is, this is actually over and over and over again in the Bible. Now, I want you to think for just a second about your biggest fear that you know about, not the one God necessarily told you about this morning, but the one that keeps coming up in your mind over and over and over and over again. Could today be the day you just decide you're not going to be afraid of it anymore? Could today be the day you're like, okay, God, I'm going to see right through that fear. I'm going to see you on the other side. It's dim. (laughs) I'm not doing it good. I'm going to have to remind myself maybe 20, 30 times today that you're on the other side of that thing. But I'm making a decision today to not let this fear tell me who you are. I'm going to tell the fear who you are. Can I just see through it? This is the way Jesus went through the cross. Jesus did not want to go through the cross. But joy was set before him, and he saw right through the cross to the Father. And he did the most remarkably obedient thing. Despite fear, he got courage. Now, the reality of the cross didn't go away. God doesn't want the reality of your circumstances to go away. He's not like, okay, I'm going to make your life totally smooth, no problems, so that you don't change, and I'll just leave you in hell forever because I don't really care that much about you anyway. No, he's like, I'm going to give you the perfect set of circumstances to cause you to come to me so that we can live together forever because we're going to live together forever. You don't have to be afraid about anything. Your, Your destiny is set if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. But do you live like your destiny is set? If you're like everybody else, mostly not. But he's given you a perfect set of circumstances, but we mostly want to pray out the fires instead of become someone who walks through the fires, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We have to stop praying out the fires, because if we pray out the fires for us, we'll pray out the fires for everybody else, and we'll especially pray out the fires for Israel, and that's a huge mistake. God wants to bring Israel through the fire, according to like 17 passages I could point you to right now. He wants to bring her through the fire. He wants to refine her is what that means. Okay, so Isaiah 30, 15 to 18. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. It's in in returning and rest that your career is saved. It's in returning and rest that your family is saved. It's in returning and rest that your church is saved. It's in returning and rest that your marriage is saved. It's in returning and rest that your city is saved. It's in returning and rest that Israel will be saved. This is directly to Israel, but this is true of all things that belong to the Lord, which is everything. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength, but you would not. You saw the bad thing you thought was going to happen, so you just started moving. And maybe you didn't even move your body. Maybe you didn't even make any decisions that would make it any better, but your brain just started spinning. And that fear kept him from being able to help you. Now, he could help you. He just doesn't want to ruin your chances of heaven, so he refuses to. He will not violate your free will. He won't violate the sovereignty you have over what you believe. And so he's saying, will you believe 
I'm good, that I'm bigger than this thing that you think is in front of you that's insurmountable, because I am. He is. Okay? But you would not. You said, no, for we'll flee on horses. Therefore, you shall flee. He's like, I'm gonna, you said it. I'm gonna, this, is my, this is my plan to deal with this problem. He's like, okay, that's your plan. I'm going to give it to you. This is not good, right? He doesn't want Israel fleeing on horses. We will ride on swift horses, because they heard, okay, great, we picked the wrong thing. Now we're going to have to go really fast, right? That's what happens. When you make a mistake, then you're like, okay, i got to work double hard to get myself out of this problem for God. He caught me lying again. Now I'm going to have to work double hard to not lie anymore. Said no one ever righteous in the Bible. They just came to God and said, God, I'm a liar. I'm a liar, and I don't know what to do about it. He's like, perfect. I made you just the way I made you. I know exactly who you are. I called you when you were a worse liar than you are right now. Let me help you. Let's just hang out together. Let me show you who I am. And you're lying because you're afraid of people knowing what's true or what you, who you are, what you have, what you don't have, what you did, what you didn't do. And he's like, I, I already know all those things. You're not surprising me with the fact that you're a liar. You're lying to yourself when you think that you're going to not be a liar without me. All right, and that's just... Obviously, one example, I don't think anybody here is lying. So he said, so they say, we'll ride on swift horses. Therefore, those who pursue you shall be swift. God's like, you're going to run? I'll make the the problem faster. It will catch you. One thousand shall flee at the threat of one. And this is not supposed to be the case for Israel. It's actually supposed to be the other way around. At the threat of five, you shall flee. Till you are left as a pole on the top of a mountain and as a banner on the hill. He's like, I don't want to kill you. I want you to see you can't fix your own problems. I just want you stripped down to the point where you have no strength left so that I can be your strength. We can do that the hard way or we can do that the easy way, he would say. Therefore, the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. And therefore, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. And what that means is if he's not God over you in your mind, he refuses to act like God in those areas where you need God. He's, he lets you pick who, you're, who you worship, who is your king. He's so, I mean, it's his power that lets him do that. It's, it's the fact that he's so powerful that he can afford to be patient. There's no false god. Like the Dagon or any of the false gods you read about in the Bible, they need people to do stuff for them. Moloch needs children fed into his mouth. Dagon needs offerings brought and laid at his feet. God needs nothing. He wants to do everything for you. He's unlike the false gods. But he will wait until you recognize that's true about him. He will wait until you stop trying to be God for him until he's God for you. And that's just true. I mean, that's just a basic tenet of salvation, that he doesn't make anybody get saved. And if he doesn't make that most important choice for you, he won't make any of the other choices that lead to your sanctification for you either. He will wait for you to come to him in the truth, which is you're weak, you're broken, you're dust without him. He never expected you to be a good person. He expected you to see you couldn't be and then to see his goodness. His goodness is evident. Like right now, just look outside. His goodness is evident in the beauty. I mean, just look how beautiful this snow is. The, the sun gleaming off of it. There's this little white fluffy bird that's been hanging out on our porch. It's got a bright red chest. We don't know what kind of bird it is. But God chose to make this bird beautiful and to bring a beautiful song out of it. If he was an evil God, everything would be evil. But he's not. He's so good. He's so good. He's been so good to us. I mean, we're in a nice, warm building. we got a place to gather with other people that love him. We sing songs. I mean, worship has been attacked in this building since the day we started. Worshipers, like the ones that are good at doing stuff, constantly leave. 
and are replenished. Everybody that you saw on the stage today, they weren't worship leaders when this started. And that will always be true. It's so beautiful. He's been so good. He provides so much. And he just wants us to stop being afraid of everything but him. Right? Wouldn't it be a, a terrible thing if he just gave us everything we needed for success over and over for eight years and we just kept telling him we're afraid it's not going to work? Wouldn't that be awful? That'd be an abomination. And he's like, what are you talking about? Every, every, the gates of hell have tried to come against you. They haven't prevailed. Give me a testimony of my goodness. Give me glory so I can help you. Right? That's what he says. I will wait. Therefore, I, he will be exalted that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. That means he likes what's true. He, he actually refuses to agree with what's false. He refuses to agree with what's false. He will not coddle your fears. He hates them because they're an accusation against you, A, that you're supposed to be something that you were never made to be, and he's a good maker, and B, they're an accusation against him. And the accuser was even made by him. Who is the accuser? The devil and you. Both of you were made by him, right? Don't be discouraged that you're the accuser. Everybody's born an accuser. And if you've ever hung out with preschoolers, you know that's true. The Lord requires a witness that he is seen as the creator, father, healer, provider, banner, the one who sees all the names of God. He wants the world to know he is God, not by him telling us, but by us telling him. You know, I heard once a, a really great pastor who helped me a ton. He told me, he said, I don't tell anybody I'm a pastor. I let them tell me if I'm their pastor, and then I pastor them. I let people pick me as their pastor. I don't tell anyone. He's like, he just went by his first name. The whole culture around him actually started to call him pastor because the other people wanted to be called pastor, and it, it all changed. I watched it change literally with my own eyes. But a real, a real shepherd of God, they don't tell you who they are. John the Baptist, they asked him over and over, who are you? He wouldn't tell them. They let the people pick them. A PR campaign is the enemy's way of doing things. Just beat them down with what, what, the re, what the reality you want them to believe is. Just tell it over and over and over. But God waits for us to pick him, right? So the Lord requires this witness. He wants the world to know he's God for sure. He's not indifferent to the fact there's a ton of people that don't know, that don't know him. But he wants people to know him by them picking him. And he does it by a witness, by us saying to him, you're our God. You're the one who made this all work. You're the one who dealt with my money. You're the one who fixed my marriage. You're the one who gave us a place to worship and pray. We were never faithful. We didn't do this because we pray good. We did this because we didn't pray good. And you made a way for us to start learning how to pray, right? The world just wants to be professionals. All right, now the good ones are starting it. We're going to get it going. It's going to be amazing. God hates That's a false witness. He likes the weak, the broken. It says not many wise were called, not many strong. He's picked the foolish to confound the wise in their own eyes, right? Now, he's waiting in this simple truth. Now, especially, he wants especially this, this testimony or this telling him who he is. It's called worship. He wants it specifically from Zion, from the Temple Mount. That's actually why Samantha and I go to the Temple Mount over and over. That's what we pray for. We just we try to enthrone him on our desire. Like we just carry our three square feet. And then we, before we go up, we usually ask him, what are we asking for today? And we don't do it out loud and nobody else needs to know. He wants to know that we want him to be glorified on the Temple Mount. He'll do all the stuff of making that known. He just wants us 
to see our fear, our need for him as a witness that other people might. And it's worked. I mean, I, we've actually gotten to lead several people up on the Temple Mount that lived in Jerusalem for 20 years, 10 years, 8 years. And they're like, we've never gone up there. We thought it was closed. And it's just us simply going there. This is true for you in your life. I'm only using that as a very tiny example. There's a place where you've gotten victory that the, this city needs a, a picture of victory. If this city gets a picture of victory, it will rock the world. If, if this city gets a picture of victory, I guarantee you to some degree, Israel will see a witness and will get a picture in her own mind of victory too. She's very afraid right now. Very, very afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. And it doesn't, it doesn't require us being there for that to happen. We're connected to there in many, many ways, okay? So he's waiting in this simple truth in our lives, our families, our churches, our cities, and our world especially. He's waiting for Jerusalem to come to this. Now, COVID was intended to teach us the fear of the Lord and to show us how much we're in fear of man. That was the point. Now, I want to tell you, you have whitewashed your memory of COVID. You remember yourself as faithful in COVID. You were not. You were mostly afraid, mostly afraid of what people thought of you, that they would think you're a bad person if you didn't do what everybody else was doing to love other people without Jesus. We are afraid of getting sick. Some of us are afraid of getting sick. We are afraid of being imprisoned by a bunch of rules. We are afraid of everybody else not being imprisoned by a bunch of rules. I mean, there's so many things that if we're honest, we could just literally, <laughs> thanks, Brad. I got a vote of confidence from Brad. He donned his mask for me. That was awesome. Very, it's awesome. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. So we want to honestly remember COVID, though, because what we can remember is what God did, and he did some amazing things, and we can start to say we did that. And that's very unfaithful. We actually want to say, no, God actually gave us some warnings before it ever happened. He gave us some information. He gave us a bunch of heart wrestle. There might even be some things that we were unfaithful in because we were afraid of what people might have thought or what we might lose or what we might gain. And he'd be like, let's be honest about that right now because there's something even worse coming. What's the even worse than COVID thing coming? Do you know? It's a war against the saints. And it's primarily about your opinion about Israel. Now, do you see a lot of sentiment, anti-Israel sentiment growing on the earth? Do you see a lot of pro-Israel sentiment that's not based on God growing on the earth? They're equally destructive. Israel's not supposed to be some shining lamp without God. There's supposed to be a very faithful witness that neither Israel nor the world likes. And that witness is this. Israel is chosen by God and she's being chastened unto faith where she doesn't put her trust in man, but she puts her trust totally in the Lord. And if I'm going to say that about her, I got to say that about me. And this is a, if you stand on this, you're going to be persecuted for sure. You're going to lose opportunity for sure. But you don't need to be afraid of that. That's the beauty. You can put God over that, and he says, I have better opportunities for you. I have better provision for you. The things that you're trying to keep, you don't even really believe in them that much or like them that much anyway. Why are you hanging on to all of these fears when I have a better family reality for you? I have a better money reality for you. I have a better church reality for you. I have a better faithful witness reality for you. I have a better story about you for you. If you'll just put me over the fear. He says, you wouldn't know anything about this had I not told it to you. Why are you taking something I told you about and turning it into some crazy thing that you're afraid of all the practicalities and you don't realize being afraid of me is the most practical thing you could do? 
And I've given you this place to come see me. To come see me. You don't have to manage this place. You have to serve it. But you don't have to manage it. You can just come see him. It works really good if we do that. To the degree we whitewash our testimony of how we saw and dealt with mass vaccines, rules, and our shame of fear of loss is the same degree to which the war against the saints will hurt us, and especially our families and churches. Fear leads to offense, leads to betrayal, leads to cold love, leads to opportunistic manipulation, leads to falling away, leads to eventually murder of other people thinking that we're serving God. I want to tell you, if you think your heart is not capable of murder, you're wrong. If it's capable of hatred, it's capable of murder. They're the same thing. And many cultures have flipped into murderous sentiment in a moment because demons were released and people who thought they were good people found out what was really inside. And they couldn't have known the whole time because they were murmuring and complaining and grumbling inside for years before that happened. And it just gave them the right opportunity for that hatred to be unrestrained in their heart and turn into murder. And I want to tell you, this country is about to explode in civil war. And if you're not careful, this church will explode in civil war. In murder, for real. It's happened so many times in history. So many times to people that thought, I would never do that. And if you do that, the darkness gets so dark you can't see your way out. Even right now, some of our hatred and disdain and annoyance with people that don't get it is getting blinding. To the point that's all we can think about is, God, you got to fix these people all over the world. That's going to turn the people that don't repent of that into murderers. It's just a fear of man. It's just a fear these people are going to mess it up. These people are going to ruin something for me. And God's like, nobody could ruin anything for you but you. If you won't come to me in the fear of the Lord and see, I'm sovereign. This is all my idea. The last days are God's idea. It wasn't on anybody's agenda but God's. Okay? Now, God wants the fear of the Lord to make us clean so Satan has nothing in us. If we cover up with a false narrative because we fear being wrong... Bad or unfaithful? How many people fear being wrong? You can know that you fear being wrong if you play Trivial Pursuit. I'm serious. You play a game and you hate losing, or you play some kind of trivia game and you're like, oh, you hate being wrong. You're not supposed to know everything. (laughs) Be free. (laughs) Bad, unfaithful. You're supposed to be weak. Most people are taught that if you're weak, you're vulnerable, and if you're vulnerable, you're going to lose. That's something that most parents teach their kids from a very young age that you got to get out of. You got it made. God made you. He loves you. He just wants to take care of you. It's the exact opposite of what we teach ourselves and our kids, okay? So God wants the fear of the Lord to make us clean so Satan has nothing in us. God will let Satan sift away our covering if we don't let go of it. He'll let the Satan find it out, okay? Jo- Jonah 1, 4 to 10. But the Lord sent on a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid. Now, you're going to notice fear and the fear of the Lord are the main topics in this passage. And every man cried out to his God and then threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. (laughs) But Jonah... God, you are so funny. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, Now I bet those guys on the boat after the storm calmed down and Jonah was gone and they gave glory to God. They're like, Why did we throw all the food away? <laughs> I know they did. Don't do that. Get with the Lord. Before you start fixing the problem, get with the Lord. Okay? He's funny. 
Uh, sorry, I lost my place. Okay, uh, so the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Now, the guys on the boat who didn't know God had more of a fear of God than Jonah did. They're like, they don't even know God. And they're like, we're calling on our false gods. And we know our gods are false. Why are you calling the real one? He's your God. Right? And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. When did Jonah start fearing the Lord? Right then. For that, he, he had the, the audacity, the boldness to think he's going to run away from God who sees everything. That he's going to somehow outrun God. I'll get on a boat. God's like, I'll make the storm faster, buddy. But Jonah got the fear of the Lord in that moment. And it was good for everybody. It was literally good for everybody that he did. Okay? I'm a hero, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid. Do you see this? If you turn to the fear of the Lord right now, you will have an impact on the people around you. They will be like, wait, what? What What do you see that I don't see? Why are you taking this course of action that everybody else is looking for someone to blame? And you're like, God is sovereign over this, and I just want him to change me. For real, not just saying it, for real. You know what will happen in your marriage if you do that? Your marriage will get weird. It will get better. Your relationship with your kids will get better in that. Your relationship with your church will get better. This city will be bettered for that, for real. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. He came clean with them. The whole world is turning against faith in God right now. It will be seen as criminally irresponsible to have faith in God. The whole world is turning against faith in God right now. There's a spiritual reason for this. There's a reason that people are supernaturally hating Israel. There's a spiritual reason. Do you know what the reason is? You. What's that? It's the devil, and it's, it's us. We have the Holy Spirit. We're the only ones that have, you know, not, not in this room, but spirit-filled believers are the only ones who have the answer. We're the only ones. Islam doesn't have the answer. Israel doesn't have the answer. We have the answer. No government has the answer. It's us. The spiritual reason for this is our fear is causing their storm right now. We're the only people with the answer for planet Earth, and we mostly fear being different than the culture around us. We're the reason for the storm. And yeah, anybody ever seen uh, Inception, the movie Inception? In Inception, Noah, what happens? Like they, they, it's a dream within a dream and within a dream, and the whole world starts falling apart when? When they realize who the dreamer is, Right? And they like the in the, in this in this movie. It's a movie with uh, I can't remember the, the guy's name, DiCaprio, and like he's he could plant a dream in somebody's head and take them into a dream and then change their mind about something and come out. And and in these dreams, like over time, he's walking down the street and like people start getting edgy and they're like, and then they start bumping into him because they start to realize there's something wrong here. There's something not working right here. What is it? The whole world is doing this right now. It's supernaturally, light is happening. God is unveiling something right now, and people don't like what they're seeing. And what they're going to see is you. They're going to see you if you stay faithful. So we have to recognize our lack of being just clear, faithful, true witnesses right now, getting out of our fears right now, 
It's prolonging a conflict. And that conflict, it is designed to expose what's true. It's designed to bring forward things that are hidden. So right now, you want to find out what is hidden in me? What's driving me to try and manage my witness or manage how much I'm giving God and how much I'm not? Manage these things I'm afraid of losing. Why is it I can't just be free to go where he wants me to go, do what he wants me to do, and enjoy my life? Why can't I just walk on the wind and the waves of the storms all around me? And if we can get to that, then we can let the world throw us off the boat and the storm will actually calm down. In fact, God wants the earth. He wants it at peace, but at peace in truth, not at peace in a lie. Satan wants things covered up, calmed down so he can maintain control. God wants peace, but he wants peace in the truth. So for a thousand years, he's going to be uncovering what's true and releasing more and more and more peace. But we can accelerate. We can hasten that day for ourselves by getting to the bottom of what we're afraid of and dealing with it, okay? So the whole world is turning against faith in God right now. It will be seen as criminally irresponsible to just pray or to just trust God. It's, it's ramping up right now. And if you stay faithful to God's truth about Israel, you will be seen as a, a person who's against humanity, someone who hates people. It's already being said about Israel herself. She defends herself, that she hates people. This has happened many times to Israel. Okay? Now, there's a spiritual reason for this. We're about to be thrown off the boat because of our support for Israel. How many people are like, when it gets bad, I'm going to turn away from Israel? I'll start lying about Israel too. Raise your hand if you're going to start lying about Israel too. Nobody's going to start lying about Israel, so you're going to need what I'm telling you. You're going to need it desperately. Because if you try to stay in that middle ground where you're not a faithful witness, but you try to be a faithful witness, you got enough Jesus to be marked for persecution, but not enough to endure it, he'll spit you out of his mouth. Like he'll let you be persecuted in a way that you can't handle. So just go ahead and throw yourself off the boat right now. Say, where is my sin in this God? Where am I apart, way down deep underneath, of giving in to fear instead of fearing you? It's easy to know the fears you can touch. Like, you know, it's a joke for me and Sam, that the dog thing. But there's something underneath that. And it's a joke for me and Sam, the me and, I mean, maybe not a joke. I think it's actually kind of annoying, the me and money thing. But there's something underneath that, right? And it's time to deal with it. It's time to find out, what, why don't I trust God with my life? Why don't I trust God with all these things I'm afraid of losing right now? Because that storm is growing. The one that I'm warning you of, it's growing right now. Don't be afraid of that storm. Have the fear of the Lord. Put God over that thing. And then you can be like, okay, this is great. This is right on track. And he's sovereign over the war that's coming to America. He's sovereign over the war that's coming to the church, that's coming to the faithful. Just a couple more things. Okay, uh, so I give you Revelation 12, 17, Revelation 13, 4, 10, which is about that war. I won't read those right now. Item two, God will give us over to our fears to free us or to make us clean. So this is Job's statement. In the middle, when Job finally broke in his pride, when he finally stopped being good Job and he was miserable Job, this is what he said. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and what I dreaded has happened to me. Now, God liked Job's faithful testimony. But God saw something underneath. And when, when Job was like, God gives and takes away, God was like, yes, he does believe that on the surface. But there's something deeper. So Satan, have another run at him. Right? That was pride. And that might be hard to hear. I think it's hard to not idolize Job. But Job was a man. He greatly pleased God, but he was a regular guy. And God wanted him to come to the truth, which was, the thing I was really afraid of and dreaded has finally happened to me. 
Job kept offering sacrifices because he was afraid his kids might mess up and God would be harsh with them. And God's like, I'm not harsh with you. Why do you think I'm going to be harsh with your kids? Why do you think that you could intercede in a way that takes away my right relationship with your children? Don't you want them to know me like you know me? Right? We don't want to get into that. We want to be broken in this very thing. So what, when, what we fear comes out of our mouths, we can know. Because we were made in God's image, our words create our reality. What you're afraid of, you have an ongoing conversation in your head about it. You probably have, when you feel safe with other people, it leaks out in like prayer requests. It leaks out in complaints. It leaks out in gossip. You can know what you're afraid of just by listening to your words. But your words are so powerful, they're creating your reality. They're, because God's words, when he says something, it creates something. And he said you're made in his image, and he's given you dominion over the earth. God is bringing to light... Oh, I'm sorry. Whatever's in our hearts will always make its way out. We may think we've been careful, but God has heard everything. And he said this to me this morning. He's, he wants me to be aware that I'm not fooling anybody when I just tell Sam things. That I'm still creating the same reality because what he hears is way more important than what anybody else hears. I just don't have the fear of the Lord like I need to in the way I complain about what God's doing, or how mostly about how quickly or not quickly he's doing it. I like what he's doing. I just think, I don't like all this heart pain of having to wait to see how it works out. And he's like, why are you waiting to see how it works out anyway? It's always worked out good. Like, it'll be the death of your flesh. It'll be the glorification of my testimony. And whatever happens, it'll be good for you. Hasn't that always been true for you? And the truth is yes. So right now, I just think what he wants to do is illuminate where we're afraid in a way that we don't call that afraid. We think it's other sins we got to get better at. And he's like, I don't really want you to get better at anything. I want you to get honest with me about what you're afraid about so that I can put myself over that fear. If you want that, stand with me. There's a little bit more in the notes, but not a ton. Let's see, Steph and uh, Elisha, you guys want to come back up? So this is what I think he wants to uh, impart to us, if you're willing I want you to just think for a second about what you wrote on the card. Does God know you? Did he speak to anybody about that thing while I was talking? He showed it to you because he wants to deal with it. He's not annoyed that you have it. He's not ashamed of you. He just wants to free you. We're having a lot of relational struggles here on planet Earth right now. I don't know if you know this or not. We're isolating in weird ways because we don't want to be vulnerable. We're afraid of what's going to happen. But we don't need to be. I want to declare to you, Yeshua is coming, and he's a really good leader. This planet was made to be much more beautiful than it is right now, and it's going to be. And he wants you to be ready for it because your future is so glorious so safe in his arms. It's so safe in his mind. So right now, I just feel like he just wants us to open our mouths. If you want to get rid of the complaints, just feel like he wants to, he wants to just take them from you. He already heard them. He hears what's in you. He knows all your thoughts. I'm just going to open my mouth. I'm just going to let him take it out. Like in faith. This is like a, you know, silly. It's not silly, but it's real. It's real. It's a faith act. It's just a faith act of saying, there's something in here, God. You and I both know it shouldn't be here. 
It's an accusation against God, and it's chaining me to the reality I don't like. So let's just open our mouths. Now, this is symbolic and real, so it doesn't take forever. He wants to put honey back in. His judgments are like honey, sweeter than honeycomb. So just keep your mouth open. Just receive it in faith. Like, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to just believe that he's a good God and that when we say yes, he gives good things. Just let it coat the inside. There's, there, there's a deficit in you of sweetness. I just hear him saying it. I feel so sweet towards you, he says. He says, if you could see me, you wouldn't be afraid of anything for the rest of your life. He says, no one can snatch you from my hand. You're safe. The enemy just wants you fighting your own life. That's it. God, pour out honey in this room. Pour out honey, God. Honey strengthens. Strengthen us, God, for faith. God, help us to just sit in front of you with our fears. Just leave them in front of you. Just real. Just real. Some of us have been protecting our right to be afraid. It's like protecting the burglar that's in your house. You're like, no. He's got a right to be here. It doesn't have a right to be here. I bind fear in the name of Jesus. I cancel the assignment of fear. Holy Spirit, pour out. Pour out like honey in this room right now. In Jesus' name, amen.